Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. It is Tuesday, June 23rd, and we are maybe maybe like eight days away from some kind of start to some kind of season here in 2020. A lot to talk about this evening. Scott Miller, Fox Sports San Diego insider and also Bleacher Report will join us in a little bit. Kind of run over everything we're starting to know these last couple of days with him. Very happy to be joined uh, for the entire show today by Bob Scanlon, a colleague on the Padre broadcast crew. Uh, scans will we'll run over all the news and some of the stuff that, that's leaking out in, in just a moment together here. But I mean, I think we said at the end of yesterday's show, this is probably about as positive a day as we've had during this whole thing. And today, maybe even more so. No question about it. And the good news is baseball. We can talk about it. We can talk about it with some certainty for the first time in a long time. And I think we were all generally optimistic that we were going to get a deal at some point. And finally, it looks like baseball is going to take place. Now, did it did it come to an agreement the way that we were hoping that it would? No, nope, not necessarily. But uh, the good news is baseball is back. We're not going to have advertisement on the uniforms this year, and we're only going to have the designated hitter in the entire league for 2020 guaranteed. So that's the good news. On the other side of the coin is we're not going to have the extended playoffs that was being tantalizingly dangled in front of us. And there is, is some animosity between both sides still. And of course, that grievance that is still hanging out there. So there's still a lot to be figured out, Jesse, especially with some of the safety concerns. But the bottom line is, it looks like we are going to have baseball. And that's great news for everybody. Yeah, the, the safety is the holdup at the moment. And it doesn't sound like it's any sort of mountain that needs to be climbed. It's more about just getting on the same page and making sure everybody is together on the health and safety protocols. I saw one report that that document uh, that MLB has put together is now over 100 pages long. So not an easy thing to go through. And I'm sure they've been going back and forth on that for a couple of months now. Uh, but still, the uh, push has finally come to shove. Uh, you got to go through that thing, I think, with a fine-tooth comb. Um, so let's just kind of get everybody caught up in terms of where we were and, and where we're headed. Yesterday, basically, MLB said, here's the situation. Uh, let us know by tomorrow at 5 Eastern if you guys can get to spring training by July 1st, which is a week from tomorrow, and 
uh, if you'll sign off on these health protocols. So that means two o'clock this afternoon here in the West. And we were all sort of looking at our watches and looking at our Twitter and getting ready and tapping our fingers on the desks. And two o'clock came and two o'clock went and 2.30 came and 2.30 went and on and on throughout the afternoon. And, and maybe some folks started to get nervous. But then we did get good news. Uh, Jeff Passan put it as thus. Uh, Players Association has agreed to report to training camps July 1 and to play a 60-game season. But deal is not finalized yet. One last health and safety hurdle to get over. And Major League Baseball will be back a week from tomorrow. A lot of those reports, Bob, were saying that it will be handled. They're not worried about it. And again, this feels like as as much good news as we've had at any point. Yeah, and look, this is the bottom line. When they said, can the players be there by July 1st, I kind of chuckled to myself. They said, if you'd asked the players if they could be there in 48 hours, they would have been there in 48 hours. These guys want to play baseball. That has been their number one goal all along. So finally, we can release the hounds. We can get these guys back doing to what they love to do, what they're better at than anybody else in the world at doing, and that we enjoy watching so much. So, Jesse, it won't be long before we're having some sort of a spring training. How that's going to take place remains to be seen. But the good news is we're going to see baseball again, and it's going to be in a way that we've never seen it before. Yes, it's going to be different, but I think there's going to be some really fun and exciting things about this new shortened season, maybe about the playoffs as well, how rosters are put together, how managers manage their games. So it's going to be new, but it's going to be fun and interesting for everybody. And I think everybody, the bottom line is we can't wait to get it going. At least I I imagine that's how you feel as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here's a couple of things we don't know. And I think they they fall under the FAQ headline that a lot of people have had frequently asked questions as of late. Uh, You know, we don't really know what spring training is going to look like. My guess, and and I think it's an educated guess based on everything we've been seeing, teams will, for the most part, if not exclusively even, uh, do spring training at their home stadiums. I have a hard time imagining games in a traditional sense in terms of like the Padres playing the Rangers or something like that during spring training. Maybe you get a couple of situations, Mets, Yankees, Cubs, White Sox, Angels, Dodgers, where those teams try and pull something like that off. Maybe not. Maybe MLB will say, hey, if everybody can't do it, then you can't do it. So I think it'll be more just about working out, getting guys ready, monitoring pitcher workload, getting their arms as set as possible to get it going. And and the other thing we don't know is, okay, it's going to be a 60-game season. Uh, We all recognize what that means in terms of uh, how short it is. But the way the schedule is put out is still something a little bit shrouded in mystery. The last thing we heard about that at this point was, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago. And it was basically that it would be something of a geographical pod, right? We, we've been saying Padres would only play teams from the NL West and the AL West. That is still my expectation. Um, I still think that's probably the way it goes out. But, but we haven't seen anything uh, reported or leaked out along those lines yet. No, same. I'm hearing the same things as you, Jesse. Basically, it's going to be geographically based where the National League West will play only against themselves in the American League West and and equally for the Central and the East. What I have heard is that there's some rumors that it's basically going to be a two thirds, one third possible setup in terms of playing your own division. Two thirds of those games the uh, for the Padres, the American League West for the other third of those games. I think the 60 game schedule does create some uh, some challenges in terms of creating the schedule. It won't always be nice, crisp three and four game uh, series that we're used to. There'll be some two game series in there as well. So, but it'll be interesting to see how they do spring training. And one of the things that the teams already have to figure out, and if I'm not mistaken, they have three days to submit their 60 man roster of who is actually going to be eligible for this season, both for the, the active roster and that taxi squad that they're talking about. And I've had a chance to, to talk to some minor leaguers lately, not in the Padres organization, but some other organizations. And they said that they've already been 
given sort of this hint that, look, if we resume and there is a 60 man uh, you know, full roster and a taxi squad, be prepared. You're going to you're going to be one of the guys that we invite to go to that. So kind of an exciting time for some of these young guys, Jesse, who may not have had a chance to go to spring training otherwise. But all of a sudden they've got a legitimate shot at looking at going to a, a big league spring training, granted modified but also a chance to make their appearance in the big leagues for the first time, which may not have happened previously. But I'm curious your take on this. How do you think rosters are going to get put together? Do you think there's still going to be an emphasis on depth like we've seen in the past? Or is it going to be viewed more as a sprint? And they may bring up some of these younger guys that they may have held back previously. Yeah, it's it's the billion-dollar question, right? And, and for me, I'm not worried about depth this year. I'm really not. You know, you're not worried about attrition. You're not worried about that kind of stuff the way you would be. You know, you're basically playing a third of the games, you know, a little bit more than that. But, you know, I, like the, the depth thing and having eight guys who could maybe play second base is not necessarily, you know, the advantages it would have been. I'm I'm if it's me. And again, I haven't talked to A.J. Preller in, in some time, so I don't I don't have any insight into the way he's thinking. But if it's me, a guy like that, Reggie Lawson, a guy like Mackenzie Gore, a guy like Luis Patino, if their arms are ready, if they feel like their development is ready. I say you, you go for it a little bit. And I know there are service time considerations to think about. Um, but if it's me, particularly an organization like the Padres, I'm going full throttle. I'm saying let's go for it. We got 60 games. Anything can happen. It's going to be weird. It's going to be goofy. Let's see if we can't go out and, and hoist that trophy at the end of this thing. And it's all hands on deck to try and do so. I agree with you 100%. That's exactly how I'm looking at it as well. And it's so fun because you're looking at it and say, look, any team in baseball has an opportunity to go to the playoffs this year. Certainly there would be favorites over the course of a 162-game season. We understand the importance of veteran depth. But at the same time, that's going to be less important than ever. And so if you can get off to a good start and get something out of these young guys early, I I, I don't see how you don't treat it completely differently. And it's going to be really fascinating because there's going to be some veteran players that may not be making rosters that thought they would be earlier. And some young guys like the Gores, the Patinos that you mentioned, who are all of a sudden are not only going to be asked to play at the big league level, but in an even more intense situation because every single game will mean that much more. Every single inning, every single out, for that matter, every single pitch when you break it down, right? Um, so this is this could be really interesting and, and really fun. And the other thing that I'm sort of excited to see, Jesse, and I don't know if you're looking at it this way or not at all, but the fact that the playoffs are going to be getting to guys sooner in the season, they are going to be fresh. The superstars of the game, assuming that they, they play, yeah. are going to be at their peak come playoff time. It's not going to be one of those things where, gosh, we're not seeing the same Max Scherzer that we saw, the same uh, Kershaw, you know, because he's, he's tired, he's got 200 innings under his belt. We're going to see these guys at their prime, hitting their stride right at playoff time. So that could be really fun to watch as well. Yeah, it's such a great point. Meanwhile, while we're having this conversation, Jeff Passan of ESPN, among those reporting, the deal is done. A schedule is in place. Baseball is Back. Uh, anyway, I would expect an official announcement and perhaps some information even beyond of what's sort of been reported throughout the afternoon and the evening here uh, coming very, very quickly. We'll get to that information in, in two seconds. I want to just address this because I've seen it come up from a few different people uh, in, in the last little while here. And Austin, is, is it's his tweet we're using. Yeah, I mean, as far uh, yeah, absolutely is the answer to that question. Games uh, will be on Fox Sports San Diego on TV, 97.3 The Fan on radio. Uh, it, it'll be your usual uh, cast of Dodos, uh, Scans and I included. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's the thing. I know selfishly, Bob, obviously it's how we make our living. It's what we do. Um, I mean, that's, that's as good of a piece of news as I can pass along from a selfish perspective that I'll be sitting next to Teddy. He'll be working with Don and Mud, and, and that makes me very, very happy. 
It's going to be fun. We can't wait to do what we enjoy doing. And I can't wait to hear your golden pipes again, Jesse. Uh, yeah, so we've heard enough of them, I think, in the last few weeks, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting back in there. All right. So as we said, a lot of information has kind of been leaked out and reported throughout the evening. Uh, Jason Stark of The Athletic has provided some really interesting nuts and bolts. And boy, am I excited to just like talk about this kind of stuff as opposed to dollars and cents uh, that we've been so focused on lately. Uh, first of all, there will be a trade deadline this year. That was something that I think a lot of people uh, weren't sure about, A, because of the shortened season, B, because of the the medical concerns of you know guys moving and bouncing around and everything like that. Uh, but there will be a trade deadline. I, I think we understand the season will likely be beginning around July 24th. So just a little over a month into the season, will be the trade deadline. Uh, in order to be eligible for the postseason, a player must be on that team's big league roster by 915. Uh, the season will start with 30-man game day rosters. After two weeks, it'll go down to 28 guys and then down to 26 a month or halfway through the season. That sounds odd to say, but that would be the case. And 26, of course, was what it was supposed to be um, you know, all year this year in a normal season. And then just like a normal spring training here in summer training, uh, pitchers and catchers will get the opportunity to report before position players do. So again, just kind of going through some of this stuff that we're learning. Uh, there will be a regular IL that lasts for 10 days this year. So Jeff Passan also reports MLB expected to institute a special COVID-19 related injured list for players who test positive. Um, have confirmed exposure or are exhibiting symptoms. There would not be a specific number of days they have to spend on that. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Obviously, you hope it doesn't have to be used all that often, but we know the reality of this virus, unfortunately, at this point. Um, also, Jason Stark reports that MLB has been talking with the city of Nashville about having two teams there consisting of unsigned players, and they would basically be an emergency pool of guys, and teams would uh, be able to sign them from there. Um, basically without a normal and traditional minor league feeder system. If you were in a desperate situation where you needed to sign somebody or call somebody up, you don't have indie ball going on. You don't have your depth within the organization going on. So you'd be able to go out and, and get one of these guys. Interesting concept. I understand. I believe the XFL actually, it's something similar this past year where they had like one team of extra guys that they're able to use. Um, but Bob, I mean, all of this, I guess to me, just kind of reading through it quickly here, it makes sense on its face um, because things are going to be awfully different in 2020. No question. And I like the fact that they are sort of paring the roster down after the first couple of weeks. You're going to need those extra guys. So by the time you get a month in, let's be a 26 man roster. Very interesting. That latest piece of information that you just shared, Jesse, about sort of that additional team that they're going to have in Nashville, two teams playing on two points. First of all, we just talked about how some of these rosters may get pared down. Some of the veteran guys that teams would normally keep for depth may not need those guys anymore, but they could still be valuable to somebody else. But it also it reminds you of the fact that, well, even though you have a 60-man roster in that taxi squad, they're still making provisions that that might not be enough. So it'll be interesting to see who chooses which guys are allowed to be a part of that league, which players are there, and the other thing that I was thinking about is how important it's going to be for teams to organize something such that the players who are not on their active roster are still staying sharp. Early on in the season, I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. Say a weekend, somebody blows out, you call up one of your guys uh, off your taxi squad. But as the season goes on, those guys are going to be more and more removed from game action. So you can inter-squad as much as you want, but it's not the same as facing live pitching. It's going to be really important for these teams to keep those guys sharp. And I'm wondering if at some point the guys who are actually invited to play in this Nashville league might not be deemed more sharp because they're playing against 
an actual opponent, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and how teams choose to bring guys up and how they keep those guys sharp so that they can be valuable, especially come close to playoff time, possibly not having been in live competition for an extended period. It's a great point. Um, roster construction. There's a lot of room for creativity this year for all those reasons you just mentioned. That'll be something to keep an eye on. And I think in-game strategy, particularly that first couple of weeks when you've got the bigger rosters um, and, and pitchers arms are still still being built up. I wouldn't be surprised at all, Bob, if, if several times for a team in the first however many games, you know, you, you see basically a spring training esque outing out of a starting pitcher. Oh, no question about it. And Based on my own experience, going back to the 94-95 strike situation, when we came back, we resumed play on a shortened spring training. I believe they gave us three weeks. Even though I had been throwing, even though I had been working out, even though I had been firing off a mound and doing everything I possibly could to get ready, I can tell you, Jesse, as a starting pitcher, I was not ready when the bell rang to go further than four innings at the most. Three innings was really my comfort zone. Four was starting to push it, and there was no way that I was going to go five unless I had two or three, one, two, three pitch innings. So we are definitely going to see depth of bullpen be a huge factor. And as far as if you want to just look at the Padres, that's one of the strengths of this team. It's one of the strengths that we were talking about back in spring training before any of this happened. They are going to have some incredible depth that really could come to their advantage, especially early in the season to get off to a good start. Yeah, no doubt about all that. All right, we're going to move on to Scott Miller, our buddy from Fox Sports San Diego and Bleacher Report, national baseball writer, really plugged in on all this kind of stuff. I had the opportunity to catch up with him earlier today, and it was sort of before all of this became official, but we obviously still had a really good understanding of where everything was headed, the direction of this thing. And I had a bunch of like big picture questions uh, to ask Scott. He was nice enough to indulge, and I think he provided some great information. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Scott, thank goodness, much to discuss. Uh, and a lot of it is kind of of the on-field variety, which will be a nice respite from what we've been mostly talking about these last few days, weeks, months, years. I don't even know at this point. Nobody does. Uh, let, let's start here, though, with, with some of the big picture stuff. Did it always have to be somewhat ugly, you know, this process? Uh, at the end of the day, it, it is a labor negotiation. Those generally are not the smoothest and gentlest things. They're very important things that, that take place between two sides. Did was it naive, perhaps, of us to think that it didn't have to be like this or at least something like this? It, it probably was to a degree, just based on on baseball history, Jesse. You know, you go back to especially that I remember so well that 1994-95 strike and how nasty that was. And I, with this, this never got to the point, obviously, of a strike. But, you know, the players union has been strong over all these years for a reason. And, you know, the, the thing where I think maybe it went beyond where it could have or should have gone and what disappointed me. And this is sound funny saying this as a reporter, because generally as reporters, we love leaks, right? I mean, we get information, but I think the fact that this entire thing going back to March was negotiated in the public eye seemed like every time the owners gave the players a proposal, um, it was like five minutes later, it, somebody leaked it to some favored media outlet or person uh, to try to back the players into a corner. And then the players would respond, and then they'd respond, and five minutes later, they would have leaked it to somebody. And, you know, it, it turned so public, and I just – people 
have enough on their minds this summer, rightfully so. I mean, people are worried about their own health, the health of their families. They're worried about paychecks and about, if you know, if they're having to go to unemployment and how do I fill out the unemployment papers? Because, by the way, highest number of unemployment in this country than at any time since the Great Depression right now. Um, you know, and then the social justice stuff goes on when, you know, when when we had the, you know, the just horrific murder of George Floyd on the street in Minneapolis. And against all that as a backdrop, you would have hoped that the owners of players maybe could have kept their business quiet and, and, and maybe both understood, given the situation of the country and, and, and the fear and the agony that, you know, hey, maybe let's we can each give a little more than we would like and we'll save our big fight for the collective bargaining agreement, which, by the way, negotiations should resume or start on that in a few months. But, you know, like so many things in baseball negotiations past, it just seemed to become a train that uh, runs down the hill and it becomes a runaway train. Maybe a little bit too early to ask this because we don't have all the details. We don't have all the facts about, you know, what it's going to be. But your sense, how much different is what we're ending up with here than what was sort of agreed to back in March? Because that was an agreement that happened very quickly, very easily, at least by comparison. How different is this than that? Not much. I mean, that's the frustrating thing is that that agreement back then really was similar to where they ended up. Uh, with Commissioner Manfred mandating the season. And, you know, the frustrating thing, the, the only difference probably, Jesse, was, um, you know, the owners, because they were losing so much money per home game with no fans, obviously they, 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 were, they didn't want to pay the players the full prorated salary uh, for that many games. They were hoping for 50 games or 60. I mean, Manfred could have implemented at 50. I think the owners, by the way, going to 60, that was a generous step they didn't have to do once we got to this point. But really, there isn't much difference uh, from then to now. And and the players ended up, all the players got out of all this, from what I can tell, is they've got that grievance in their back pocket that they surely are going to try to use. But a couple things on that, Jesse. One, I'm talking to a number of management sources. Um, You know, the owners are pretty confident that they have covered all their bases. They've dotted the I's, crossed the T's. They think they've negotiated in good faith. And, you know, it seems like the paper trail is there. They offered an 82-game season, a 76-game season, and on and on, you know, all the way up until a week ago when – you know, Commissioner Manford flew to Tony Clark's house, players union boss in Arizona, and they negotiated some more. And, you know, the players, by bypassing everything, they end up with the right to file this grievance. But they also lost out on a lot of other things, including they won't even be paid for the postseason now. You know, a lot of people might not realize how that works, but you, you've heard of, you know, World Series, winner shares, loser shares. Same with ALCS, NLCS. How the players get paid, that's strictly on ticket sales in the first four games of a best-of-seven series. So the ticket sales for the first four games of the World Series, that's what money goes to the players. Well, there won't be any fans in the stands. So the owners at one point in their offer 
offered $25 million out of the postseason pool to the players, and they declined that. And so now where they end up is, like I say, they have a right to file the grievance, but that playoff, they'll end up playing for free. And there are a few other things which, you know, we don't need to spend the next hour going over all the business arrangements, but there are a few other things the players uh, passed on to reject the offer. So, yeah, this whole thing just didn't have to be this hard or drag on this long. What do you think are some of the long-term implications of everything that's gone on the last couple of months? And I mean that from like the temperature of fans, fan interest, CBA, really any direction you want to go. I imagine there will be some dominoes here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a number of just anecdotally speaking, talking to friends, neighbors, a lot of people are, as you would guess, teed off at baseball. They're, They're sick of hearing about all this. So to the question of how much damage did baseball do to the fans or to its base? It's hard to say because like the, 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 the immediate measuring rod would be attendance, right? Well, when baseball starts in late July, let's see what damage they may or may not have done to the fans. What's the attendance going to be? But with nobody allowed in the ballpark, it doesn't really matter anyway. So the fans will be home watching. Um, and then from there, like a lot of things, I think time will probably heal some of the wounds. But I think this, Jesse, the, the, the well, however we measured what damage may or may not have been done to the game, I think a lot of that's going to hinge on this collective bargaining agreement because it's right around the corner. It, it expires after the 2021 season. And I think if a lot of fans may be uh, – teed off now about having to listen to this and kind of feel like they've been dragged through the mud. But if the next basic agreement gets done and there's no work stoppage in 2022, I think that'll go a long way toward making people forget about this. But if there is a big work stoppage, that's, I think, going to be catastrophic for the game. But one other thing on that, the tone between the owners and players right now obviously is not good. And you know, there's a lot of animosity on both sides. Players don't trust the owners. Owners don't think the players union, among other things, gave the proper information to the players. Yeah, I mean, there's talk that Scott Boris involved himself in the negotiations and overstepped his bounds and in that the union as a whole maybe misrepresented some things to the players. So, But against all that, the bad blood back and forth, there's one thing to remember. Both sides are losing so much money right now, this summer, that one question to ask and one thing to remember is when they go into the basic agreement negotiations, the question is, can the owners and players then themselves afford a shutdown again in 2022 after losing so much money this year? And so in a weird way, that could end up, despite the animosity between the two sides, the common denominator is it often is in so many human cases is money and people don't want to lose it. And, you know, that you lose all that money now and then play next year. But then are you going to be prepared to lose a ton of money again in 2022? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and you're right. Something I hadn't thought about. Let's talk about some actual baseball. Uh, that would be nice. Uh, what what fascinates you, uh, assuming 60 games here? Uh, we always say baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. This year, it'll very much be a sprint. We're going to have different rosters. Probably pitching will be used differently. Um, all kinds of things. No minor league feeder system in a traditional sense. Uh, perhaps extra inning rules, that sort of stuff. What are you looking forward to from just sort of a, a I'm fascinated by this standpoint? You know, the, the, the one thing is that is that the old cliche that the, the game's a marathon, not a sprint, that gets turned on its head right out of the gate. Opening day, essentially, excuse me, is more than just opening day. It's the first day of the stretch run, the pennant race, because you're only playing 60 games. There's no time to have one or two bad weeks. So the urgency is going to be there every night. And... Um, yeah, I was doing some some math today, Jesse, which is always dangerous because uh, whenever I try to do math, sometimes it doesn't go well. But um, if I'm 60 games out of, you know, the percentage of the 162-game season that 60 games is, if I did things right, I think each individual game now will be worth, I think it's 2.7 games of a 162-game season. So, um you know, each game is more than twice as important as during the regular normal circumstances. And if you take that out to the full week, um, each week's worth of games, if say, you know, the Padres or whomever it is plays six games in a week, that'll be like 16 or 17 games worth in a regular season. So right away, the urgency is there. Every single game is so important. So you know, I, I think you know that's going to be interesting. You always look at flukes and 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 teams. I think teams that are really deep, like the Dodgers, that depth is built for a six month season. Um, that doesn't guarantee any guarantee anything over sixty games. I mean, I looked uh, again. If you look at the season last year and the year before, and especially take the year before, twenty eighteen. If you cut the season off at the 60-game mark, just play it out through April, May to June 4th, uh, Arizona wins the National League West, not the Dodgers. But more interestingly, and this shows you how flukes could happen, also in 2018, after, after 60 games, the winner of the American League West is the Seattle Mariners. They were two games ahead of Houston. And Seattle, had they're the longest drought in baseball. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. Yet after 60 games, two years ago, they would have won the division. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... One would think going to be some stuff like that to happen or at least almost happen where I don't know the Marlins or the Pirates, somebody comes out of nowhere and is playing meaningful baseball late in September. If they can keep everybody healthy, that's another subject for another day. Uh, we've taken enough of your time. Really appreciate it, Scott Miller. Uh, Bleacher Report, Fox Sports, San Diego, everything else. Um, enjoy, hopefully soon, the start of baseball, Scott. It, Jesse, you too. And as I've been telling people all summer, man, I hope to see you, see you at the ballpark sometime soon, sooner than later. And it seems like maybe we're getting to that point. We very much are. Thanks again to Scott Miller for joining us. Prior FaceTime presented by Viasat. Bring Bob Scanlon back in. And Bob, again, we're sort of basking in the blow of the good news, glow of the good news. Uh, it, it appears that everything is about as buttoned up as it can be. Players are expected to report to spring training, summer training, I guess, uh, by next Wednesday, July 1st. And uh, we might even have a look at a schedule for the 2020 season uh, sooner rather than later, perhaps later today or, or maybe sometime in the next day or two. Um 
it's it's quite a thing uh, that we've all experienced here in the last couple of months. It really is. It's great to see Scott's face. I always love his input. One of the greatest reporters in, in all of baseball. Always admire what he has to bring to the table. So great to get his perspective on things. And Jesse, I think the only guys that are more excited than you and me and the fans right now are the players. I mean, you've got to keep in mind, these guys have been chomping at the bit to get back to getting onto the field. So I, I can just imagine what's going on in households all over the, the world right now. You know, guys trying to get themselves in shape, get themselves ready to go. Uh, get things packed, realizing that after all this long time that they've been enduring the ups and downs and, and the agonies, I mean, you and I have been going through the roller coaster ride along with the fans, but the players have been doing the same thing. Everybody involved in this industry has been going through the ups and downs of all these negotiations and wondering if baseball is going to be back. So for the players, I'm sure it's just a sense of relief, regardless of what the deal is, regardless of what may be lying out there in the future in terms of CBA negotiations and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, they're going to be playing baseball again. We're going to get a chance to enjoy them, and I know we all can't wait. One report I saw just a moment ago while we were listening to that interview with Scott was that uh, apparently part of the health and safety protocol will be that now uh, guys who cohabitate with someone who is high risk uh, will be able to opt out this year uh, and get service time and full pay. Previously, MLB had agreed only if a guy was high risk. He'd be able to opt out. But now if you have a pregnant wife or your wife or, or girlfriend, whomever you live with is uh, someone that's considered high risk for medical reasons, you can opt out. I only bring that up in the moment because uh, I believe both Mike Trout's wife and Bryce Harper's wife are pregnant. And, uh, you know, just two of the biggest stars, obviously, in this game. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting development right there. But it does show that I think that the health and safety stuff is still being bantied about. It, it sounds like it's been agreed to. We're going to get more and more of those details uh, again, and probably the minutes and hours ahead. Uh, but that remains, I think, the biggest issue with all of this. We, we have to mention it with some regularity uh, because even with everything signed off on, we are still very much in uncharted territory here. Two points that you brought up. First of all, the health thing. I think it's great. The more humanity that we see in some of these decisions, the better. And obviously, if somebody is not only a player potentially going to get sick, but if they have somebody at their house, we've heard about Garrett Cole and, and Mike Trout having their wives being pregnant right now. So you understand. And I'm glad that that is not going to be a sticking point for anybody because that is something that can really create some bad feelings amongst players and, and ownership moving forward. So I'm glad that there's just a sense of what's the human thing to do? Try to give these guys the, the benefit of the doubt. But, but the other side of that coin is let's hope there's not a whole lot of guys in that position or the guys don't want to take advantage of that and because we want to see the best players on the field. So hopefully this doesn't become a situation where it becomes so watered down. But regardless, we're going to see plenty of the superstars playing. And as we talked about earlier, even if some of those guys can't be there for the start of the season or maybe even all the season, we're going to get a chance to see some of the new young superstars that are going to be a part of the game moving forward. Yeah, that's for sure. The humanity thing uh, is a great point, and, and I'm, I'm all about that. I'm excited by that. One of the things Scott said, which I think is important, and we had mentioned this a couple of times over the last couple of months, but you know, with a shortened season, basically, and I'm, I'm rounding up a little bit here, but basically every game is now equivalent to what a three-game series was in every other season. So imagine every win is like sweeping a three-game series. Every loss is like being swept in a three-game series. And again, I'm rounding up a little bit, but generally that's what you're talking about here. Every series is the equivalent of like seven, eight, nine games, you know, in a normal season. Uh, every little thing is going to be dissected. Every decision, it'll be amazing. No question. And we do this as broadcasters, as fans, as players all the time, too. I remember in spring training, they would talk about a gentleman, 162-game season, 30 of them we're going to win, or 60 you're going to win, 60 you're going to lose. It's those other in the middle. And what can we do to make the difference of those other 60 games? 
And, you know, it starts with the first pitch of the ball game. It starts with winning every inning, winning every out, and just that mental focus that it takes. And that's with 162. It's even more intense with only 60 games going on. So what will really be interesting also, Jesse, is to see how teams come out of the gates because we know guys aren't going to be at their sharpest. We're going to see physical errors, hopefully not mental errors, but certainly the physicality of the game is not going to be as sharp as it normally would be from the beginning. And now every single one of those hanging sliders or you know missing the cutoff man or not getting the butt, whatever it may be, we're going to be talking about that even more. So you know, do you remember that game back just three weeks ago and – could have been the turning point of the season. So it'll be interesting to see the ebbs and flows. And as we've talked about, I am really curious to see how these managers handle their pitching staffs. How short a leash are they going to have on some of these guys? How quick is it going to be? And you can't even be as short because of the new rule that you got to leave guys in for at least three batters. It's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. How, how about, and this just kind of popped into my head, and, and Chris Paddock is the obvious example when talking about the Padres, but, you know, we, in normal spring training back, you know, 10 years ago in March, we were talking a lot about how he was going to be unbridled this year and he'd be free to throw 180 innings if he could, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, he was uh, on a restricted uh, innings uh, limit last year, and this goes for any young pitcher, but I'm just using Paddock as, as the example that we're familiar with. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done math in my head. Was it 80 innings that he could throw this year? Uh, who knows? I, I mean, how, how could that affect things long-term for young pitchers, do you think, who were sort of expected to be built up here in 2020? Yeah, it's a great question. It's sort of that long-term question of, okay, for some guys, let's say a Gore or a Patino, this opens the door because one of the concerns you have, aside from starting the, the time clock, the Padres have already shown that's not a huge consideration for them. It's more of care for the pitcher. If you bring him up too soon, he's not going to be able to get through an entire season. So you want to pace things a little bit. You don't have to worry about that quite as much, right? But the other side of the coin is, as you were talking about, Jesse, look, your goal is not to create four and five inning starting pitchers. The Padres all along have said, we have got some of the best arms in our minor league system. And we don't want these kids to become five inning starting pitchers. They want to try to develop kids to be able to go six, seven, eight innings. That's the goal. It's going to be tougher to do in a shortened season like this. Guys who their natural progression would be to try to get to 130 innings or 140 innings through a combination of minor league and major league work. Well, those innings just aren't going to be available this year. So is it going to be a little bit of a setback in the development of some of these young arms? Yeah, possibly. But at the same time, it's nice to know that that you're not going to have to worry about the opposite side of it, which is try overextending these kids too soon. I think if anything, it's, hey, kid, go for it. Get your feet wet. You're going to get the experience that you need at the big league level, however many innings it may be this year, and we'll worry about next year, next year. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Right? Well, don't you think, Jesse, in terms of will it be less arm injuries? Will we see fewer elbow problems, less shoulder problems, or more because guys have the shortened, shortened time period? I think it's going to be up to all the different managers, coaching staff, and medical departments of each of these teams to figure out what is the best way to stretch these guys out, both short-term and for their long-term development. Yeah, totally uncharted territory, as we've said a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. I mean, as, as a, a fellow baseball geek, I know you're right there with me, as, as so, I'm sure everybody who's watching and listening is like, what is this going to look like? We just don't know. And that's kind of exciting in, in a weird way. Um, again, kind of before we move on to other stuff, uh, same questions kind of coming up. And I just want to hit it for as many people who might be tuning in as possible. Uh, Wesley wants to know if we know who uh, the Padres will be playing. Our guess is it will exclusively be NL West and AL West teams skewed heavily towards the NL West. 
Uh, but uh, that has not been confirmed, although John Heyman does have this. Uh, plan is for teams to play 40 games in division, 20 games interleague. So there you go. Exactly what we were saying. So for the Padres, 40 games uh, total against the Dodgers, uh, Giants, Rockies, D-backs, and then 20 games against AL West teams. Uh, so there you go. Trying to cut down on travel uh, and expenses a little bit and just trying to keep everything as contained as possible. Uh, in addition to that, everybody asking about the broadcast uh, plans, which we appreciate. Uh, we, we like that you tune in on TV and radio. As far as I know, I, I don't under, I don't think there would be any reason why anything would be any different. Um, you know, it'll be a TV as normal, radio as normal. And uh, boy, I, I know I speak for Bob and everybody else on the crew. And I say, I cannot wait. Cannot wait uh, to be bringing you those games. Yes, there will be that. Um, we, we may or may not be traveling. We may or may not be on the road. I, you know, I saw some reports about that. That's fine. You know, like the players have been saying, I think for us, tell us when and where. We'll make sure mud is well fed. You don't have to worry about any of that. And uh, and we'll have some good time. Don't need the fire. No early season games. They won't need the fire, Bob. That's good. Jesse, what I'm worried about is, you know how Don has his piece of tape that keeps mud on his side? Are they going to have to put up a piece of plexiglass now just to try to make sure that all of mud stays on the, on the right side? I, don't I, see how I, that goes. I do believe there are socially distant uh, broadcast plans. I think that's got to be part of this. I mean, the same rules apply in the booth as they do anywhere else. So I don't think those two guys will be sitting so close to one another. Uh, I, I cannot confirm nor deny that Don is really, really excited about that. So oh, I uh, think that, that the happy dance we just saw there is the happy dance that's going to be going on when he has that piece of plexiglass protecting him from mud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Unbelievable. All right. So, yeah, I mean, again, uh, we have nothing uh, but uh, the expectation that it'll be business as much as usual can be possible, <laughs> I guess, in these times. Uh, it's been kind of a happy, good news, smiley sort of show. Here's some more happy good news uh, for you. Not that it's a surprise necessarily, but it became official oh, just about uh, 40 minutes ago that the Padres have signed first-round pick, number eight overall, R.H. Tree. Uh, Robert Hassel III, uh, he was actually at the ballpark today uh, signing his contract, lefty, uh, with his mask, got an opportunity to check out things. By the way, what an amazing photograph that is. I don't know if that was Matt Thomas, uh, the Padre team photographer, or not, uh, just somebody else in the room, but like, if you're Robert Hassel III, you frame that thing, hang it in your room, because 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that's like a historically relevant image, you know, with the mask and just having signed the contract. I mean, that'll tell you everything you need to know about 2020. You show it to the kids and the grandkids, you know, when they ask what it was like to be drafted in that weird year. It's just a really, I don't know, impactful photograph. You put that one in a museum and uh, nice that he got the opportunity to, to see the ballpark. But uh, good news getting that top pick signed. Not only is that great news, Jesse, and I don't think any surprise that he got signed, but the rumors are that he signed for about $4.3 million, which is under slot, which should have been about 5.18. Why is that good news? Because it gives them a chance to sign their number three pick, Cole Wilcox, who is a big, strong right-hander, throws 100 miles an hour coming out of the University of Georgia. And he had been saying all along, look, if I don't get $3 million, I'm going back to school. That's just the way it is. As soon as he didn't get picked in the first round, he felt like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to get the opportunity to get that $3 million because the slot that he's at is about $767,000. The point is the Padres now have extra money to make sure that they get Cole Wilcox signed as well. This would be a huge addition. This kid has great physical talent. He blows 100 miles an hour, like I just mentioned. And from all reports of some uh, family members of mine who, who have been playing with him in Georgia, they said he's a great kid also. Great makeup. So Looking forward to the news of him getting signed up, hopefully, here as well. 
Scans is one of those people who knows someone everywhere. It's incredible. You know, anywhere we go, Bob's got some kind of connection or, or plug in. Uh, he, he's, he's got sources, man. You got sources. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, certainly as well. All right. Uh, it, it feels a little bit anticlimactic, but it is time for our daily KBO sadness report as we check in on our adopted KT Wiz and their uh, illustrious mascots, Vic and Dory. Uh, no victory last night, though, for the Wiz. Game one of a three game set against the first place NC Dinos. Odrisamer Despagne started for our Wiz. He went six, allowed four on six hits, only a couple of strikeouts. Uh, they hung tough. It was a good game. They lost four to three, though, and they'll try and even that series coming up tonight at 2.30 in the morning. Um, this one stings a little bit, too, Bob, because I, I don't know if you were on the show when I sort of declared that we would be Wiz fans, but uh, the, the other team, the other finalist in terms of like who we would be following was the Dinos because they were kind of similar to the Wiz in terms of the lack of success they had had in their history. And it would be kind of fun to catch a shooting star or rising star. And of course, the Dinos have gone on to have like the best start in KBO history. And, uh, you know, the Wiz are, are scuffling a little bit, but we stick we stick with our pick. And uh, hopefully the Wiz, you know, they can still got time to turn this thing around. Jesse, there's one thing the Dinos don't have. That's true. Not logo. All right. <laughs> you pick the best logo in all of Korean baseball. One of the best in all of baseball. Let's let's not deny it. All right. So we're, we're happy to be with the Wiz. We know they're going to turn things around. We are not front runners. They're going to be okay. And although they lost the other day, they had won five of the previous six ball games. So all is not lost. They're still hitting well. Fourth best batting average and third in home runs in the league. They just got to get that pitching to go on a 5.84 team earned run average is the second worst. So uh, if they can get the pitching figured out, Jesse, who knows? We might be having the the, uh, the happiness report a little bit more often for our whiz. So I'm, I'm, when social hour is finished and we get back to playing games, I'm sending Randy Jones to Suwon and he can he can pitch for the whiz, get a couple outs uh, <laughs> late in the game. I, I still have I'm comfortable to do that. You runs. Mel Rojas Jr. hit another one last night. Uh, he, he's mm. been at or above the league lead. This one, it's bad camera work, uh, but it actually ends up going completely out of the stadium. Uh, switch wow. hitter, crazy power, half-brother of Moises Alou, who, of course, works in the Padre organization. And uh, he's, I think that was his 14th of the season. Uh, I know coming out of the weekend, he was tied for the league lead in home runs, but he has been stellar and a big part of those power mentions uh, that that you mentioned those power numbers sorry uh, that you mentioned so that is our uh, kbo report meanwhile in npb uh nippon baseball the japanese league they got underway just this past week or so a lot of familiar names playing in that league including uh san diegan adam jones who hit his first home run uh in the game last night for the orgs buffaloes sweet unis by the way for that team great look all around and uh adam jones if you don't follow him on social media it's worthwhile. He's been putting up a lot of really cool stuff about his experience there as they get going. And uh, that swing still looking pretty sweet. You know, I'm happy for Adam Jones getting that home run. It, what a great guy. It's it, San Diego native, as you mentioned, went to Mons, Mons High School. And, you know, it, what's so interesting about his story is he didn't even play baseball until he was 12 years old. And yet he turned himself into a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner. Um, you know, we saw him last year playing with the Diamondbacks. And although the numbers weren't great, the leadership quality that he brings to the table is, you know, a big part of who he is. And I'm really curious with the language barrier there, if he's able to make the same kind of impact in a clubhouse as he obviously does on a major league team. So hopefully he is great to see him still playing the game and good for him. He got a nice little contract as well, two years, $8 million with a possible extension through the 2022 season, which was a lot more than the $3 million he made playing here in the States last year. So nice little payday for him and a chance to continue to play baseball and hopefully making a positive impact on young players across the seas. 
Yeah, it's one of those uh, you know hidden benefits for a lot of guys going to play over there. There's certainly money to be made, and uh, even endorsements, stuff like that. Uh, the baseball players are huge stars in Japan. I've talked to a couple of buddies who played over there, and it, it's such a neat thing. I would love to be able to check that out uh, someday. All right, uh, another thing we've been doing throughout this pandemic when we haven't had as much to talk about uh, as we did today, it was just kind of check in on cool things uh, on this date in baseball history, and, and a great one, a famous one. Uh, today in 1981, the conclusion of the longest game ever. It was a triple A game uh, between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings. It was a game that had actually started uh, several weeks beforehand, but it concluded today in the 33rd inning of the game. Um, So basically what happened was they started to play in April. They played 32 innings and finally, finally after 32 innings, they suspended the game. They picked it back up in front of a sold out crowd in Pawtucket um, a couple of months later, I guess, on June 23rd, 1981. And of course, after playing 32 innings, there was immediately a run in the bottom of the 33rd uh, and the game was over. But the uh, the rosters for the two teams, Red Sox and Orioles affiliates, as it were, contained some like big names uh, in 1981, including the future Hall of Famers, Cal Ripken Jr., uh, Wade Boggs played in this game. And it, it's just, there's Boggs, that's a great shot. And, and just like this unbelievable thing set of things that happened here. There are so many goofy stories coming out of this game. My personal favorite was, I guess, the International League, which was the league that this game was played under, was supposed to have a curfew that you could not start (laughs) after, I think, like 12.35 a.m. But for whatever reason, the home plate umpire's copy of the rule book in the game did not say that. So they kept playing and playing until three, whatever in the morning until they finally got a hold of the league president, because of course, no cell phones or anything in 1981. And he was like, what are you guys doing? Like, stop playing now. (laughs) That's when they suspended the game. And they were originally going to pick it up the next day. And the managers were like, nah, I don't think that's the best idea. We were just here. Um, So they suspended it, played it. And as we said, on this date in 1981, it formally came to an end three to two. You see Don there uh, as they do a 25th anniversary celebration back in 2006 of this game uh, and and with Wade Boggs. Uh, Scans, this is just one of those legendary baseball things. Oh, it's the thing that guys talk about. And, you know, you say, what was the longest game you ever played in? It's like, oh, that's nothing. How about that game that they played on the 33 innings? You know, the crazy things also that was going on, and you mentioned that they called the president at three o'clock in the morning. There were still fans out at that game. And the team president said, look, anybody that's still at this ball game at four o'clock when we're shutting this game down, they got a lifetime pass to come to any Pawtucket Red Sox game they wanted to afterwards. And when they resumed that game on June 23rd, later in the season, it was actually a baseball strike going on. And so Major League Baseball, they called and they asked, look, do you want to resume this game at Fenway Park? And the minor league players said, no, it's a strike. We're not going to cross the line. So they still played that game at Pawtucket later in the season instead of getting a chance to play, play it at Fenway Park. So a lot of little side stories like that. 882 pitches were thrown. Um, the, the, the worst night I think goes to Dallas Williams 0 for 13. That's a tough night right there. That's a tough month, let alone a tough night. And on the other side, there was Russ Larrabee. He went 0 for 11, but he had seven punch outs. <laughs> oh man, that, that's a rough one right there. I feel, uh, and Dave Huppert, the catcher for Rochester caught the first 31 innings of that game. Jim Umbridge, he, he pitched 10 sh- shutout innings, uh, and had nothing to show for it. So there was a lot of strange stuff going on there. And, and the one guy who I actually had crossed paths with Jesse in that game is Chico Walker, who played in that game. He and I ended up being teammates later on with the Chicago Cubs. And one of my favorite Chico Walker stories is that 
we had a lot of gambling going on in our flights, you know, big, big games. And there was the the big shooter game with people like Dave Smith and Mark Grace and Ryan Sand, you know, some of the big, big name guys. And there was the little shooter game. Well, Chico Walker was not a big shooter, but he got himself into the big shooters game <laughs> and had a really, really bad flight and owed some guys a bunch of money. He was supposed to get traded when we landed uh, on that from that flight. But because he owed so much money to some of the other guys, the player said, you can't trade him yet. You got to wait till he gets his next, next paycheck so we can get paid off. So Chico Walker didn't get traded until after his next paycheck to make sure everybody got paid. Uh, so anyway, one of those crazy things behind the scenes. I was going to say that is unbelievable, but in the world of baseball, <laughs> it's actually quite believable, but a, a wow story. That's, that's pretty stellar. Uh, the, I love the insult to injury too, right? They played 32 innings at night, eight hours, whatever it was. And the game was even delayed at the start. Like it was supposed to start at eight. It started right. to 830 because they couldn't get the lights on at the stadium. So I think at that point you should have known it was going to be a weird night. And it certainly was. Well, and the next day is Easter, right? So, you know, you got to go to the ballpark early for Easter Sunday. You've probably got 5,000 kids out there running around on the field and they all want your autograph. That's the thing about Pawtucket also. What a cool stadium it is. I don't know if you've ever been there or fans who have been there, they know that it's really unique in its setup in that the dugouts, there's an overhang over the dugouts. And the way fans get autographs is they actually fish for them. So they have to drop the ball, they drop the, the card, whatever it is, in a cup down into the dugout. They don't know who's going to come by and sign, and they just sort of fish for autographs. So uh, it, it was a neat old ballpark, uh, old, so it wasn't the most comfortable place to play, but a lot of good memories there and, and a fun place for fans to uh, try to get autographs from the players. And I'm sure the players were in a great mood that next morning for Easter Sunday after getting three three hours of rest. can only imagine. So that game concluded on this date, 1981, the longest professional game in history, 33 innings between the Paw Sox and the Rochester Red Wings. Meanwhile, on this date last year, scans for me, one of my favorite moments of 2019. Have a look. Team in baseball going back, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years now. Hunter puts a big swing on it, but pops it up on the infield. Newman, away from his shifted position, makes the catch. That's the second out. And Tatis going to try to come home and score, and he's out. He thinks he was safe. He wants a challenge. He's telling everybody to put the earmuffs on. But more aggressive base running from Fernando Tatis Jr. For the moment, it does not pay off, but we'll wait and see. He's celebrating himself, that's for sure. Well, he's pretty confident, isn't he? <laughs> oh, here they come. Unbelievable. The kid is absolutely electric, and he scores on a pop-up that was, I don't know, 120, 130 feet away from home plate. Did it there, did it in San Francisco, scoring on ground balls back to the pitcher. I mean, what didn't we see from Fernando on the bases last year? That was one of my favorite plays ever because, Jesse, as much baseball as you and I have seen over the course of our lifetimes, we still have that adage of you never know what you're going to see when you come to the ballpark. And this was the epitome of that. When did you – I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I've been playing in the game for almost 40 years. I've never seen a guy tag up from third base. And the way that he did it – this is a young player that didn't just, you know, gear up and, and throw it into overdrive. He understood what was going on. He anticipated the play. He actually set the, the defender up by doing a fake start, then stopping to take him off guard, then turn the, the Jets back on again to score. I just love this play. I just – I get goosebumps every time I see it. I never get tired of watching it. And I, my question to you is because you did a great job of, of calling that. How surprised were you? That is nothing that you can anticipate. 
not only is it, not, I'm going to take people behind the scenes here, probably more than I should. So I'm doing the game with Mud, obviously, on TV. Don had a national assignment. And one of the differences between TV and radio, among the many, of course, when you're calling a game, is in TV, you have somebody, a stage manager. Sheila is our stage manager in San Diego. She's wonderful. And you go to the different cities and it's different people in different places. And one of the things the stage manager is responsible for is handing you the card or the paper that has whatever promotional or, or paid read you have in a certain moment. You know, it could be, hey, tune in on Saturday for whatever, or it might be, you know, your Arco <laughs> this or your, you know, Jumbo Jack that, whatever. So... After that play, uh, there was a read. You know, the producer had called for it. And so as the out is being made, I see out of my peripheral vision on my left in Pittsburgh uh, that the stage manager is starting to hand me a card and a piece of paper. So I start to turn away from the field to grab the paper. And then I hear the crowd and I think, oh, my God. <laughs> and so it was a very quick turnaround, try and figure out what happened. And luckily, I was able to kind of uh, salvage it a little bit right there. But that was a heart-sinking, scary half of a second or whatever it was. <laughs> when I heard the crowd going crazy because it could have been anything. You know, the, the throw could have gotten away. He could have dropped it. I don't know. I mean, I looked away just figuring it was yeah. a routine pop-up. But you learned a lesson there with Fernando Tatis Jr. Nothing is routine. Nothing is routine. And not only did we learn it, but the opposing teams learned it. And what's interesting is that in no way did anybody feel like that was showing somebody up. I mean, if anything, guys were in awe of that play and they they were hoping to see it. I, I've shared this with you before that when I go to visiting clubhouses, I've never had an experience where the other team is asking to make sure that Fernando is going to be in the lineup that day. They're like, oh, I'm so disappointed he's on the DL. We want to see that guy. We want him to try to do something like that against our team. Not because we want to get embarrassed, but it just it forces you to be on your game. It makes you sharp, and they love to see things that they don't normally see. And for guys to push the envelope, he does that. He brings excitement not only to us as Padre fans, but to opposing clubhouses as too. If you love baseball, you love watching Fernando Tatis Jr. play. That's it. Like we said, scoring from third on pop-ups to the second baseman, scoring on ground balls back to the pitcher, getting out of that rundown against Atlanta in July. Uh, he he did some things last year you just don't see. And very glad that we'll be seeing more of them, hopefully, very, very soon from Fernando. Also get to see, it looks like, year two of Manny Machado. That's exciting. And coming up tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, a highlight from year one, Manny Machado, his return to Baltimore uh, last summer as uh, he got to face his old team, the Orioles. This was a very, very special night. You, you just felt it, Bob, all around the ballpark. Uh, you, you knew that the fans, the staff, everybody there was so appreciative of everything he had done for that team and that town. That was really heartwarming. And, you know, I feel for Manny when we go to other towns and there's booze and stuff that are going on, he handles it so well. He understands, look, if you're one of the top players in the game, Reggie Jackson said it best. He goes, fans don't boo nobodies. And everywhere he goes, you know, he knows that he's going to be the target on his back. That being said, when we went to Baltimore, the reception that he got, not only from the fans, but the media that came over, the coaches that came over, people from that organization that made every effort, went out of their way to make sure that they came up and said hi to Manny and thanked him for everything that he had brought to that organization during his time there. I mean, I'm just I'm getting goosebumps just remembering that moment and seeing him wave to the fans right there because it was a special moment and it was well-deserved. And I think he earned it and I'm glad that he got it and he had a nice series against the O's. It was just one of those feel-good weekends on a road trip that you don't normally get, but with a player of his magnitude and what he meant to that organization, it was certainly well-deserved.
It really, really was. A fun one, and that again coming up just about a half hour from now on Fox Sports San Diego. That about does it for us tonight. Thanks to Scott Miller for swinging by, and Scan's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Jesse. Great talking ball with you, and we're going to be talking baseball here pretty soon. Really excited about it. I know you are as well. Yeah, big time. Uh, Very, very pumped up for this. And again, the news, uh, if you missed it, it looks like everything has been agreed to uh, in terms of the players and the league. Players will report uh, to spring training, summer training at, I assume, the home ballparks uh, a week from tomorrow by the latest. uh, Three weeks of that. And then baseball at Petco and other places starting on the 24th or thereabouts of July. 60 games, a sprint to the finish from the start. Stay safe, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 5.30. Have a good night.